Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Here we are. We have record. We keep saying that we want to record some of the casual conversation we have before we like get in the right frame of mind to right. actually do the podcast. But uh, but we had a good conversation going about about newsletters and and some of the production value of newsletters. So well, hey, yeah. Let's so get this thing rocking. The reason I was laughing right as we started the recording is because we were we were just talking about what are we going to talk about today. And I said, well, you know, I don't know if we want to record. And as soon as I said record, <laughs> Tim just hit the button. <laughs> so here we are. Welcome, everybody. And Welcome. yeah, as as Tim mentioned, uh, we got a lot of stuff going on. But one of the big things that we want to do today is talk about growth yeah. and maybe growth in a couple of different fields. So people who know me know that one of my specific focuses is newsletter growth. I'm getting ready to do a whole bunch of case studies on different media companies and how they've grown. And one aspect of that is SEO. And I'm not really an SEO guy. So what I was hoping to do in this show, obviously Tim is, I want to sit down and kind of interview Tim and figure out how he analyzes the SEO of potential competitors or like other people that he kind of finds across the internet and use that to reverse engineer, you know, the process that I'll eventually use for these case studies. But I thought it would be a cool way, uh, Tim, for you to share some of your insights on SEO, but, and also for people listening to learn, because this is really important. I don't know if it's obvious why I'm kind of going down this path, but like you can learn a lot and you can jump up the learning curve. If you just take a little bit of time to deconstruct what other people in the industry are already doing, do you have any thoughts on that? Like doing case studies behind the scenes or, or studying do competitors? Whole, I don't do a whole lot of case studies. I obsess over competitors because oh, yes. when you brought this idea, um, I think it was yesterday or maybe it was last, last week we had the idea and then we decided to, to go over the article that I wrote instead, but I'm all for this because so much of why I like SEO is because it paints a very, very clear picture for me on like what I'm doing. I personally feel like one of the things that holds content creators down a bit is just lack of direction, lack of what I call like ultimate outcome. And that leads to what I call feeding the beast. It's, it's like, it's the never ending, never beginning cycle of just tweeting and blogging and posting and emails. And the problem with feeding the beast is that as soon as you stop feeding it, nothing happens. Mm. And so me and Sean, um, Purry were kind of going back and forth a little bit about this. Like, look, I'm all for people who grow newsletters and grow brands without search. You know, like I'm not necessarily saying that I have a monopoly on the way to do it, but I just always advise people to be mindful. Just like Ed Lattimore said, like that was one of the things about that interview that really stuck with me is that long form content posted on an article, or excuse me, on a website that you own is like one of the only ways that you can have time work for you because mm-hmm. the half life of a tweet. I mean, I guess you can go viral, but on average, it's got to be two hours, like <laughs> maybe, right? But the lifespan of of an article can be 10 years. Like there's stuff on Copyblogger that was written 15 years ago that I'm continuously optimizing. So all of that to say is that the reason why I like to do these competitive analysis so much is because it paints a real picture and it lets me see like, okay, this is the opportunity. Like this is the opening and this is what I'm going for. And then once you decide it, it takes all of the doubt out of your mind and you just know like I'm doing this. This is exactly what I'm, this is, this is the target I'm trying to hit. And I think that's very important. I've never thought of it that way, but I I love that framing. Like uh, this is how you avoid the need to feed the beast because it it is, it's, it's a big task to continually come up with ideas, especially if you don't have that direction. and. I'm keen to get into it. I want to see what you think here. So what do you think the best way to approach this is? Should I give you an example of just a random company and then you kind of walk me through how you would analyze their SEO? Or is there somebody else that you'd rather just take me through? No. Are you open to doing like a live case study on the work that that you're doing? Like I would much prefer to do it 
so that it, it matters so that like the work that we're doing is actually going to have an effect so the the stuff that we record now is actually going to have an effect on something that you're doing in the future as opposed to me just picking a website for sure yeah so just so i'm clear the end use for this is i'm doing case studies of other other publications so cool. i've had some people that i respect suggest a handful of publications that they feel are doing a really great job at seo and i'd love to maybe pick one of those and break it down because i don't know if you were yeah. thinking about breaking down trends but we actually know behind the scenes that we're not doing a good job at seo on trends partly because that whole publication is paywalled exactly and so yeah so seo hasn't been a priority there what i would love to do is take somebody who other people like i specifically i reached back out to lexi cuz she's such a big proponent of seo as well yeah Anybody who missed that interview, you should go check it out. We brought Lexi on here a couple of weeks ago to talk about acquisitions, how to sell media companies. But I reached back out to her and I said, Hey, who, like, who are some of the people that you think are doing a great job at SEO? So if I loft one of those names over to you, can we, can we break them down? Yeah, let's do it. This is fun. This is the stuff I love to do. I'm all for this. Okay, cool. So I should hey, share my screen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll talk through it, obviously, for anybody who's listening to this with just audio only. The first one that I want to do, maybe the only one, depending on how deep we get into it, is got to be Pat Walls with Starter Story. You familiar with him? Yeah, he was on my podcast. I'm very familiar with him. Right on. So he and I are set to talk coming up soon. I know Lexi considers his website to be like one of the examples of just a great SEO, but I wouldn't know the first thing to look at when I, I mean, other than just Google searching like, origin stories of business and seeing if his site comes up, I wouldn't know how to analyze what kind of job he's actually doing on SEO. So if we nice. start here, how would you how would you pull this off? Uh, first thing I would pull off is I would go to the website. And I highly recommend people watch this video. When doing search, I have learned this the hard way. It can be tempting to be like too technical and too buried in the data. But a lot of times SEO is won and lost in the fundamentals. So the first thing I would do is I would just go to the website and I would check out his fundamentals. So if you ever go to a website, especially on Chrome, on Google Chrome, there's tabs up top, right? And if you hover over the tab, it'll show you the H1 tag. So the H1, it's a little different now because Google has gotten smarter. But when you search something on Google, and you know how there's like the link you can click on and then the little bit of text underneath it. Those are like you can assign those. Google doesn't just know what to put there, what the links are going to be. Like you have to tell Google. And if you don't do anything, if you leave the H1 tags blank, then it'll just take it for you. Like in a some like what Google assumes the page is about, right? So it's it's just such a huge opportunity to always make sure your H1 tags are clean. And like I can tell right away that he's obviously done his H1 tags. This is the exact format I like to use. So we're on the homepage of Starter Story, starterstory.com. I'm hovering over his tab. And I love how he put the brand at the front of the H1. And I'm guessing that he doesn't put the brand on any one of his other H1 tags because it's you only get 80-something characters on your H1 tag. And a huge mistake people make is they put the brand in their H1 tag. And it's like, why? Because Google knows that if you search for the brand, you're going to go to the homepage. So he's doubling down on his homepage and he's doubling down on his biggest, well, his his fundamental keyword. So learn how people are starting successful businesses. And he uses the colon too. This is like a perfect, this is a, a personal way that I do it. I just think that <laughs> I'm getting a little nerdy here, but I think the little colon is much cleaner than the dash. And it makes it so that you can put your key phrase at the very, very beginning mm-hmm. and then colon and then like a little bit of a descriptor to make it like more incentivizing to actually click on. Uh, okay. So then next thing I would do is I would look at site structure. SEO is, is really three things. Like the fundamentals are so important. If you can have good site structure so that Google can easily index all of your pages. Because if Google can't see your pages, it can't index it. So that just means links, basically. Like if if you can if a person can get to a page by clicking links in like two or three clicks, then that page is is gonna be indexed pretty well. Can I hop in just for uh to share a quick tip that I learned about this recently? So we just did a, a an article at Trends about uh how like one word change in your navigation can lead to 
huge potential upside. Like, if, especially if you're in e-com or something like that, where you know you make it one step easier for people to find your product, and you're going to make tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars more in sales. So I didn't realize this, but there's actually a tab in Google Analytics where you can go in and it's the site search tab where you can click to see what terms people are actually searching in your site search uh, bar. So if you have like a search my website thing, you can go in there and you can see all the terms that people search on your website. And then what this person recommended is he says, you know, go look at those common terms and kind of suss out any common themes among them and kind of work backwards to potential keywords because what what you're really learning from that information is this is what people can't find easily in your navigation mm. and if there's any common ideas boom throw that up in the navigation use heat maps to see if it gets clicked and then keep you know moving things around until you until like your most common term is in that top left corner so i just wanted to pause there because you said site structure and i just learned that tip the other day that's very cool Pretty neat, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't know that section of Google Analytics existed. All right. So now you're hovering over uh his nav menu. It's there's a couple buttons here. One is case studies, one's business ideas, growth ideas, tools, yep. SEO, newsletter, and then become a member. What and do you so what, what do you I think when here, you see this? Yeah. Yeah, what what I see, this may not be right, is I think that these that this is just old school. It looks like these are just categories to his blog. So this is more of like a custom built database. And yeah, it's cool. It's a really cool website. Like Pat's killing it. He's getting a ton of traffic. And I know he's thinking very hard about how to turn this into a really viable business, which I have some opinions about, but I'm not here to uh, tell Pat how to run this business. So, so okay. I clicked around for a little bit. I got an idea of the site structure. I, I don't know exactly what database he's using here. This looks custom, but it also kind of looks like a plugin. So I'm not really sure. The next thing I would do is I would highlight the URL. And we're on my personal SEMrush account right now, which is fine. I don't mind if you guys see some of my stuff. But here we go. Um, So you just plugged the URL into SEMrush or SEMrush. And just hit enter. And so this is going to be a dashboard. And you can get a ton of information here. So 572,000 backlinks. This is a real big one. This is a lot of backlinks, but here's what's really interesting. Not all backlinks, like you can have more than one backlink on a website. So the other thing you want to do is look at this referring domain. So he's got 8.1 thousand referring domains. So that just means the, the root domain has a link on it, but he's got 572,000 backlinks. So what this tells me is he has a real disproportionate amount of links where like some links are going to be on the footer of a website. So every page on that website is going to have a backlink. I mean, this is just really disproportional. And I'm not saying it's good or bad by any means. I'm just saying that like he has a lot of site-wide backlinks somewhere because to have 8,000 referring domains and 500,000 backlinks, that's a lot. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's like 40 to 50 backlinks per site. What's a more what's a more typical ratio that you would see there? Much closer to one or uh no. I'd say ten. Ten to okay. one, you know. So like let's see what copyblogger's got. Copyblogger is unique because copyblogger's been around so long. Mm-hmm. And I think I've told you this before, that so many of the articles that get published are still connected to RSS feeds. So every time we post a new article, the links just ding 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 pour on. Because there's so many RSS feeds that are still attached to it. So mm. we're going to be, I mean, geez, we're heavily disproportionate <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, you guys are like, so uh, the numbers are 4.4 million backlinks on 37,000 sites. So that's that's like a, a hundred to one or something like that. Yeah. Something Am I like getting that, that right? You're, you're brave enough to do math. <laughs> we don't do public math. Yeah, we don't do public math. But yeah, or spelling. Like yeah. Okay, um, but this is this is atypical because of how long this site has existed. Exactly. Is there ever a situation? I guess there's never a situation in which there's more referring domains than there are backlinks because no. that would be impossible. No, it'd be impossible. It wouldn't happen. And is it generally accepted that the more backlinks you have, the better from an SEO perspective, or is is there some version of that where it's like, well, not always. Not always. It, it is. The data shows that there's just such a ridiculous correlation between the amount of backlinks and the amount of traffic that 
if you can get a link, you get it basically. Mm-hmm. But not all links are created equal. So backlinks, the, the best way to think of it is like when, when we actually had to write papers in high school and do a work cited and like source our work, backlinks are Google's way of sourcing information. So if you write something on trends, you're going to link to where you found that information so that the reader who's reading it on trends can click on the link and see like, oh, okay, they pulled this information from a credible source, right? And so, you know, having CNN link to you is a big deal. Having the New York Times link to you is a big deal. Having Entrepreneur Magazine link to you is a big deal because those links are just so powerful. And that's why people send so much money you know, it's like 10 grand or something to get one press release put about you on entrepreneur.com. <clears throat> they're not necessarily doing it for the exposure. I mean, they are, but really they're doing it because it's just going to grow their backlink profile so much. Got it. So we're, we're, we're still looking here at starter stories, backlink yep. profile, 572,000 links, 8,000 referring domains. If you were going to try and deconstruct how he got all those backlinks, what would your next step be? Because you've said this is a, this is a little there's something that's a little bit atypical about this. Maybe he's got a bunch of footer backlinks. Uh, what would you your next step? So what Tim did was he clicked the yep. referring domains. So you're looking at referring domains now. Yeah, and this is also pretty typical when sites get very very popular. Mm-hmm. There's like a whole dark part of the internet that basically just copies and scrapes content from other websites and then tries to make their own websites about it. So this is problematic. There's a website called starterstory.herocoapp.com and there's 286 backlinks from this one root domain. That so, might be... So Heroku, I know I don't know much about it, but I know that that's where people will typically build an app. So that might be something that he owns. That might be okay. where he's hosting these databases or something. Yeah, it could be. I think this is actually just his staging site. I think he just has a staging site that he never de-indexed. So oh, that's interesting. interesting. Um, Names-find.com. He's got 25,000 backlinks from. And you can see this is a this is a 502 bad gateway page. So this is a Cloudflare. Basically means this is a spam site. Hmm. Marketingz.info. I've seen this thing a million times. All right. So like, let's find the real backlinks, right? Petgoodsfactory.com. This is a China, this is a Singaporean website. I hope that's how you say it. Anyone from Singapore, I'm really sorry if I said that wrong. This there's just a whole lot of like weird links on this site. I haven't found one that looks super organic yet. Nutrition-healthy.com. This isn't a this isn't a real site. So he he got a lot of links from something. Either he accidentally got put on uh some kind of PBN is called a public display network. It's basically like a network of tens of thousands of websites that all just kind of link to each other mm-hmm. for these like little SEO. It's kind of like, you know, the Russian social media rooms with like the spam bots. It's kind of like that equivalent except for SEO. Just these like rooms of, uh, of just black hat SEO people that are trying, just to, trying to build backlinks. Yeah. And just trying to hack the system. Okay. I mean, so. This is unique, man. Okay, here, here we go. This is going to be a good one. Oh, no, it's not. Because you see how it looks like it says searchengineeringjobs.com, but it's seechengineeringjobs.com. Huh. This is just the stuff you get good at. Um, That's interesting. This is definitely a PBN. You know, like this is a website that somebody made just to link. And you can see it because the whole thing is like a really straight up link-based database. So I don't want to spend too much time here, but my analysis here is that he either is on a PBN or he somehow just got put on like a spam bot circuit that built all of these links for him. Now, granted, let me also say you can't get this much traffic and be this respected on Google without having like real backlinks. You you can't spam backlink your way to success. It just won't happen. So I'm going to go to the 40th page here, see if we find anything seotoolsall.com. I don't know what that is. It's interesting to do this on the air. I've, I've never seen a backlink profile that is so random like this. smsbump.com. This, you know what's interesting too about, about one. one of the things that's kind of interesting about Pat's site in particular is that he's writing about other startups. 
And so there's a part of me that wonders if he's kind of exposed to additional risk from these bot farms and stuff, because Fair like enough. all startups, I don't know. I don't know if all startups are uh, potentially exposed to them or if some startups use them, but it's like, it occurs to me that let's say there's one startup that he writes about that also happens to be using this PBN strategy. Mm-hmm. It seems like his content could get kind of swept up in that too. So is that possible that that's what we're For seeing sure. is just by the nature of what he writes about? Like, For sure. <laughs> and he also produces a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Like the more content you put out there, the more, like every time we post an article on Copyblogger, I get probably 30 pingbacks from all of these different websites that just go ding, 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 ding. Like they'll take his, they'll take his article, which naturally is going to have interior links on it. Mm-hmm. Where when you take that interior link and you put it on a different domain, now it's a backlink, right? So mm-hmm. I think he's just produced so much content that he's gotten in this, uh, like you said, this this kind of PBN farm where anytime you post something new, it just goes like over and over and over again. Wow. Okay. So so that's one angle to this, which is backlinks. And that was interesting. I'd be really curious to see. I'm going to have to plug the hustle in at some point because we write about a lot of startups too. So I wonder if that same thing's happening to us. But aside from backlinks, what else do you typically look at? I see a couple other things being displayed in this dashboard. One is authority. And yeah, another so, is organic traffic. So what do you think about when you see those? I glance at authority just because it's a good metric. Authority score is kind of a made-up metric. Like Google, there's no such thing as an authority score. It's mm-hmm. just something that SEOs like to use. It's it's kind of like uh it's it's just a rating that collectively SEOs have decided is like legit. So an authority score of 60 is really high. That's a strong website. And that matters because like, if I were to be doing this, I would look at past website and be like, how can I get a link on this website? Mm-hmm. Like, this is a strong authority score. There's no, pan- there's no penalties. There's no manual action on it. So the next thing I would do is I would scroll down to top organic keywords. And this is can usually I, very interesting. Can I, can I pause before we get to the organic keywords? Because you mentioned two, penalties and, or, and what was the other thing? Like action. Manual action. Yeah. What are those? And how would you see if there was any? You would see it in Search Console. So in the same okay. way, there's a Google Analytics. There's also a Google platform called Search Console, which is is basically like monitoring the health of your website. If analytics is traffic and behavior, then Search Console is like health and site speed. And if you're just blatantly trying to trick the algorithm, like you'll get caught. And, Got it. Uh, so his domain it. score would never get up to eight, uh, 60 if those Search Console things had been flagged. Well... No, no. I'm saying like in theory, it could like maybe he has a strong website and then just tried something that was so blatant. He got flagged on it, you know, and then Google would basically like drop all of your rankings. So like his authority score wouldn't change, but his organic traffic would change very, very quickly. And then like, you know, you have to submit a whole whole bunch of stuff to Google to tell them that you're playing by the rules again. It's never happened to me, by the way, but I've seen <laughs> it happen many, many times with clients. Got it. Okay. So when you see that authority score, you're saying to yourself, all right, there's nothing shaky going on this web. This is high. This is somebody that is clearly doing a good job. Yeah. If you're trying to build your own backlink profile, it becomes a potential target, somebody that you want to be interacting with and linking to your website. And then you, before I interrupted, you said, the next thing you would go down to is the organic keywords. So take me through this. Yeah. So look, this is going to be really, really interesting because Pat is running a very, very successful business. And so like I am by no means saying that I'm better or that he's worse at all. I want to use this as an opportunity to highlight one of the amazing things about search and one of the ways why, one of the reasons why I advocate so much intent and about being specific and about knowing who your audience is. Because these keywords are all over the map. They're Mm -hmm. all over. So dining room Instagram captions, he ranks number one for that. There's about a volume of 50 for that search, for for that keyword. Uh, And that's a month, by the way, about about 50 people a month. And this accounts for 0.01% of his traffic. Programmer bio for Instagram, cutting board business, ASMR channel name ideas. I have no idea what that is. Affiliate marketing bio. That's that's kind of good. You know, bio dancer. 
alcohol, IG captions, utilities we, cost per month for a small business. Like they're all over. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff in here. Like uh, similar to what we said before with the potential bot farms sweeping him up because of his topic. There's a lot of stuff in here that seems like it's related to what he writes about. So if you like best white label business is in here, yep. best business to start in Alabama, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But your point is like, there's also some stuff in here that it seems like it's when you first land on this page, you're not seeing a clear defined unified strategy here. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm not seeing a clear defined search target. His unified strategy is to write about other startups. And so like, it's no wonder his keywords are all over the place because he's mm-hmm. writing about startups that are in a million different industries, right? Right. You know, okay. How to start a hard seltzer company. Like mm-hmm. this is clearly a write up about a hard seltzer company. <laughs> and yep. I'm on the page now. The article is how to start an alcoholic seltzer brand. And it's cool. Like this is like really badass content. I love what he does here. He's got the the market size of seltzer. But like if you see what happens, there's no direction. So the page is like really, really cluttered with ads. Mm-hmm. And in my view, that that dampens the user experience. So what's another one? Steam cleaning businesses. And this is in his ideas section of the website, which is on the navigation bar. So we're going to look at this. Start a steam cleaning business. Like, and this is really, really cool. You know, like I see why Google loves this website because yeah, this information, data. yeah, it's like so valuable. And even here, if, if you're watching the video, he didn't actually manually do this, this title tag. You can see here on the top of the page that Google is just pulling the title of the page, which it just defaults as the H1. So this this title tag in particular. Well, can I, can I ask you a question about that? So for people listening, the title tag on that page, or sorry, the um, the tab title is start a steam cleaning business yeah. hyphen business ideas. Yeah. And what you mentioned a minute ago is that business ideas is a an item in the nav menu. Yeah. And start a steam cleaning business is the title of the page. So is that part of what you're talking about in terms of site structure? Like his site structure makes sense to Google so that they're able to like tag these things in a way that's still, even if he doesn't manually fill it in, still might grab eyes on Google search. Is that what you're getting at? That's exactly right. Yeah. When, when websites get big enough, especially when you're, what, so he's not writing all of this content. This is getting scraped from a database somewhere. It's, it would be like impossible for one person to do all of this. So he's, he's probably got a Python script that he's running from different databases across the web and just aggregating the data onto a website, which by the way, this is exactly what I do for Sober Nation. Like this mm-hmm. is a killer way to programmatically SEO a website. And it's no wonder he's getting like three times the traffic that Copyblog was getting. So he's crushing it. And then. The reason why I say that is is to go back to your point. The site structure is so well organized that Google can just easily figure out what is this page about? Well, it's in the business idea section and it's information that would help people who are interested in, in starting a steam cleaning business. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we love this page. If somebody Googles how to start a, clean, a steam cleaning business, this is definitely the best information for the user. So this Got is... It. This is great. Like, I mean, it's it's really impressive. Really, it's very yeah. very impressive. I gotta say, even as somebody, so we are. I don't really consider us to be competitors, but we write very similar content over at Trends, or, or we try to cater to a similar idea set. And I haven't spent a, like I haven't really spent a lot of time on Starter Stories since he first got started. So just seeing this page now, it's it's pretty cool what he's doing. I'm impressed yeah. as somebody who spends a lot of time trying to create like a similar level of value. He's got key statistics on like the market size. And by the way, this is the kind of thing he's got market size, minimum startup costs. And then you scroll down, he's got like marketing ideas for this particular industry. And this is the kind of thing that people pay a lot of money for. I mean, yeah. like there's these industry reports that you can buy. They're like five, 10, 15, $20,000 a pop. I know. So this is cool. I didn't realize this is what he, this is the direction he had taken the site. Yeah. And so if you go back to the keywords, like this is a long tail website where most websites follow the Pareto principle, where Mm -hmm. the majority of their traffic comes from 
a chunk of pages. Mm-hmm. And then it long tails the further and further out you go. And that, that's just true with, with basically anything. I've really like, you know, I'm a physics nerd to an extent. And so like seeing the Pareto principle all around me kind of helps me sometimes because it makes me realize that find your thing and then just double down on the thing and don't spend too much time on like all the little things that, that can drive people nuts, right? But mm-hmm. what's so interesting about his site is like it doesn't follow this Pareto principle because there's just so many business ideas on it that mm-hmm. the whole thing is is like like what's the opposite of death by a thousand cuts, right? Like he's filling a pool <laughs> drop by drop, <laughs> you know? Life from a thousand vitamins. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Okay, so we've seen a couple of things now. We've seen backlink profile, we've seen keywords, we've seen site structure. Is there anything else that you would look at right out of the gate to kind of assess how somebody is performing SEO-wise? This tool, SEMrush, seems pretty cool. Yeah, you can do a lot of stuff on here. Real quick, just to kind of double down on on the thing I was just talking about. There's a tab in SEMrush called Traffic Percentage where you can look at the pages of their website from which page in terms of percentage drives the most traffic to their website. And like, I have never, ever seen this ever. So this is fascinating. You know, like well, even the brand, only, only the brand starter story accounts for only 1.26% of the traffic. And then the next most visited page is 0.65% of the traffic, which is crazy. You know, sometimes you see like, like 80% of the traffic comes from one page. So he is, this is the most like long tailed website I think I've ever seen. That's wild. Well, I guess wow. this was a good one to start with then. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> I know, because like I'm kind of perplexed. Like, as we're doing this, I'm like, damn. Yeah. So uh, it looks like, so you, you organized this from highest to lowest, right? So that 1.26 is the absolute top. And then everything, I mean, it's 0. 0.65, 0. 0.58. It drops all the way off to like 0.18% within the top 10 or 15 results. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Right. NFT ideas. I would have thought that would be bringing in a lot more. That's a huge search term right now. Well, and then even look at this. He's got 1,625 pages of this. So that's 106,025 pages of, I don't know, what do you think this is? 100 oh, search yeah. results? Gotta something? be. Yeah. And not a single, only one of them generates more than 1% of the traffic on the website. So, wow. So it's, it's cool. Yeah. So let me stick to my people a little bit. Let me stick to the copy bloggers of the world and explain why if this were my business, it would be exhausting. Because this is like, this is a tough model to hang on to. Because on one sense, there's definitely a purpose to the website, like the purpose is to talk about startup ideas. But who is like the ideal user, like who's coming to this site, it could be somebody who is interested in starting a business and i could see how that would happen but even still the focal point of the content and the messaging is so broad that Mm -hmm. i would find it difficult to see how you could sell like a real 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 cash generating product off of this yeah which is why you know there's so many ads all over here and it's funny the ads are all sem rush because i'm on sem rush at the same time This is actually something that we struggle with at Trends too. And again, it's because I think it's because our products are in a similar category. Because when you look at who buys this information, you know, it kind of breaks down into a few different personality types. One of those people is like somebody who wants to start a business and is searching for ideas. Yeah. And another is, you know, potentially somebody who has a business and is looking for like competitive research market information about the place the 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 industry that they're operating in and it is just just a very tricky needle to thread because the question that kind of like ultimately comes up for a lot of our users is how many business ideas do you really need once you get to a certain point you know mm-hmm. uh, you're either you're either starting a business or you're not and so for like this is a challenge that i see a lot of newsletter creators struggling with too they'll create a paid product which is just basically a paid version of their free product. And sure. the, the assumption is if I just start charging for this, somebody's going to buy it. That'll be true up to a point. But the issue, and I think this is what you're really getting at, is like you need to be very clear about who is going to buy your product and what the benefit is they're getting out of it. 
So in the case of trends, we like to say like, this is kind of a joke, but it's also very true. People come for the content, but they stay for the community. And so like we pull people in with all these cool stories about emerging business trends and stuff like that. And to some extent, some people just like to stay up on what the next big thing is. Definitely. We also, yeah, but we had to learn over time that like people don't want a new business idea every single week. That would be insane. Well, there's actually, there's a very small group of like hardcore creators. Like investors, got, yeah. Yeah, either that or like people who've got whole teams in place and they they can just spin up products super fast. But for the most part, if you're going to be starting a business like this, you got to be really clear on what that value prop is. And oftentimes it's not really going to be the content beyond a certain point. Like the content is the draw. And then there's got to be something on the back end that continues to deliver even as people move through different stages of their business. And that's true for newsletter creators too. Like the biggest issue that I see on paid newsletters is that there's not a big enough difference between the free content and the paid content. And the reason that's a problem is some people will pay for your paid content because they like you, but that'll only take you so far. And it's, it's kind of like relying on charity, right? Like it's like, Hey, I'm a personality that you enjoy. So please pay me for this thing that I've been giving away for free. The real, like if you really want to make money with a paid newsletter of any kind, you got to basically figure out how to make a product that helps somebody else make more money. That's the only super successful version of that that I've seen so far. And what I like to say is like the more direct the line is between uh, your content and their earning, the more likely you are to be able to sell millions of dollars worth of that email. And I think that's, um, well, that's something we think about all the time at Trends. Yeah, you're so right, Ethan. And this is one of the things that out of doing this podcast, you have taught me that's had a real huge impact where the three different levels, sort of speak, like you have the attention awareness. And it's when you said this, and you mentioned James Altucher, I spent like a week studying James Altucher. Um, oh, really? And he, he really is like very, very, very sophisticated on how he does this. And so, Pat, if you're listening to this, <laughs> we love you. I would approach this a different way. I would use Starter Story as just the attention asset grabber, much like The Hustle is, right? Mm-hmm. Much like jamesaltucher.com is. Go ahead. Should we, we should check just to see what his paid product actually is because I'm not sure... I'm not sure what it is. That's a good point. He's <laughs> become a member. Yeah, maybe we're because uh, I'll bet that's probably what he's doing. And and the reason I'll bet that is this is probably an evolution that everybody ultimately goes through. Like he's been making this work for several years now, and I think at some point he probably came to a similar realization, which is like that that content is the hook. Then you can add stuff in there that's like real actionable for sure. Um, I don't know. Does he have your, uh, would you mind? Are you still oh, on? Oh, shoot. I'm not sharing my screen? screen anymore. Yeah, my bad. He does. He has a become a member. Okay. So um, what, what is this? I'm not sure exactly. I, it says exactly. enter your email and get 15% off. Should we just do it? <laughs> well, I, I, uh, it's the first thing you get is access to all the stories. So he does paywall a fair amount of the content. That is definitely one way he could pull in trials. That's going to work. But if we scroll down, what else is there? I'm sure there's got to be some kind of major community aspect to it. Um, yeah. So he's got, for people listening, there's this like big banner sliding by of all the different faces of founders who I'm assuming he profiled. And then this is really sh- like sharp. Next to their name, he's got all their revenue numbers. So it's like yeah. $1.2 million a year, you know, $514,000 a year. I don't see any small businesses here. Nothing smaller than six figures. So that's another great hook. And I think, boom, right there, a community of doers. That's That to me seems to be the big sell, which is like connecting people with a group of other people mm-hmm. who can help them solve problems. So yeah, I, I would assume, I'm not sure how much of his content he's currently paywalling. I'd be really curious. But I'll probably dig into this a little bit more. Yeah, please do. Thank God you said that though. I was about to give Pat his whole like business idea and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> he might already have one. <laughs> yeah. What do they call that? Man's can can you mansplain to another man <laughs> yeah, how to yeah. run his own business? <laughs> no, it seems like it seems like he kind of came to a similar conclusion that we did over. Dude, by the way, when too, I had him like, on my podcast before we started doing this, when I was doing Tim Sods FM, he wasn't doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Part of our conversation was specifically about 
you know, like how he's running the advertising gamut and how it's it's sort of frustrating him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad to see that he's doing this. Even, even still, and you know what? Let, let me know. Give me your opinion on this because I think about this a lot. I think it makes more sense that your paid product is like a separate brand that can align itself as like a, a higher, not just a higher quality, but like like a mental level up because it mm-hmm. has to be different than your free content. And I totally agree. You know, like it's not Patreon. There are people, it's not Twitch. Like there are people that would just say like, Hey, I love watching your stream. Here's five bucks a month. There's, there's two Starcraft streamers that are friends of mine on Twitter. And I throw them five bucks a month each because I really like them and I want to support them. But mm-hmm. it's the same shit over and over again. There's no like premier content. So my, my question is, I think it's an easier sell and a better value prop if like your media generates the attention, gets emails, and then upsells to a separate brand that has a higher level of of production and like, I don't know what the word is, kind of just like ideas. It definitely can be. So I'll, I'll give you both sides of this coin because it can be, it can be kind of interesting. Ryan Dice, who runs, what is it? Uh, Digital Marketer? Yeah. I talked to him about this and the way he thinks about it is... He's a good guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Also in Austin for everybody who's considering oh, no moving to that city. I thought he was in Arizona for some reason. <laughs> Anyways, he thinks about it like a solar system. So he says, you know, you build kind of like like the central media brand is that sun. And then you use that to colonize planets. And the planets are sub-brands that are like your front and back end products. So I just as a brief point of reminder for everybody, the three different ways to make money in media is you have free products, which are monetized via ads. You have front end products, which are uh, inexpensive paid subscriptions. And then you have back end products, which can, which are expensive paid subscriptions and they can run all the way up into the like five, 10, 15, $20,000 a year. They can be very expensive. So each of those follow on products is like a planet. And it's its own brand. And then within that. that brand, you can even have moons orbiting it. And those would be like additional products in that brand. So like if trends, sure. the example that I could use here is like the hustle would be kind of the main brand for us. Then we've got trends, which would be like our next planet, you know, and it revolves around the hustle. That's your upsell, right? And it's different. It's paid. And then if trends itself were to start launching sub products like you know, guides, paid guides to particular industries, or maybe a second mastermind group. And by the way, we're not considering any of that right now. Full disclosure, SEC, all that kind of stuff. This is hypothetical. If you were to launch those products, those would be like the moons that revolve around that planet. And then what Ryan says is he says, the real key to making media work is to continue moving out and colonizing new planets. So you're spinning up new brands as you go. And you use the planets that you've already built to help with those launches. And the reason that that's key, well, it, it, it actually works in a few really interesting ways. First of all, each one of those brands has an audience, right? So boom, you've already got a pre-existing audience. But, and this played out interestingly in our interview, people don't always understand the link between the brands. So you can appear to be in more places than you actually are. Which is not really the point, but I had asked him, I'm like, I'd asked him about his podcast strategy because he had appeared on several different podcasts recently. And he goes, Oh, well, this is a perfect example because we actually own those podcasts and like had a, <laughs> you know, had a guest cancel. And that's why I got interview spots on them. And so it can work out in kind of a funny way that way. So I agree with you, but here's, here's the caveat. If people do understand that your front end product is like a sub brand of the main brand. They don't always draw that line very clearly in their head. And the issue that we deal with at Trends, so Trends is obviously it's our paid product. It's a weekly product. And you know we send one email a week. But we'll ask people like, hey, how do you feel about Trends? And they'll go, oh, I love Trends. I read it every morning. Yeah. And it's tough for us as a team to kind of get really good feedback from the audience because they're so ingrained in the entire ecosystem that they, act- they actually don't draw the same line between our products that we do. And I guess that's both, that's kind of both sides of the coin. So from a business standpoint, I agree with you. And the benefit of launching those sub planets, if you will, is that a lot of them can share the same back office 
So you get like these benefits of like these economic benefits as you Definitely. roll new brands out. But <laughs> you may run into a situation where the, the, the user doesn't realize that that's what you're doing. And sometimes that can benefit you and sometimes it can hurt you. So it, it really is a toss up. But generally speaking, I agree with you. If for no other reason, then it gives you like flexibility to position a brand differently when you go to ask somebody to pay for it. So that's, those are my thoughts on it. I think that's so insightful. I love that idea. And you, you like really, really, after we had that podcast where you talked about those three sections with the front end, the, the free media, the front end product and the back end product. And I, I was studying James Altucher. It completely changed how I was going to do my blog. I mean, we talked about last week. I got a little bit more free time. I'm like trying to figure out what to do with my life. Right. And, uh, this was one of the things where it's like, wow, I've always wanted to have just a personal media brand around me. And so I'm building a newsletter with Tim Stodds. I built my first like solo paid product is, it's called the bootstrapper and I'm just getting it started. We got, we got a thousand bucks a year so far. Um, oh, but yeah. that was in two weeks, man, a thousand bucks annual revenue within two weeks. So it's working. And then the third aspect of that. Is I'm not going to have like a higher level mastermind. It'll just go to digital commerce. It'll just go to the agency. So like even my personal writing is following that exact framework that you put together. And ideally, like the dream is to do exactly what James Altucher does, where like his free newsletter has these advertisements, which are awful, by the way. Have you ever watched those videos? And you can't fast forward them. And, and it's so gimmicky. I'm like, how does anybody watch this? But then... His free newsletter goes to what he calls choose yourself, right? Choose yourself financial. And it's like yep. a network of paid newsletters. And, yep. uh, and that's, that's where I hope to go with it, you know, like have newsletters that are about like different, different topics and, and we'll see. But it all started because of that insight that you gave me, man. So I, I really think people should take that into account because it works and like everybody does it. You just don't realize it. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. And then I guess just to double down on that whole concept of how these brands interact with each other, sometimes without people realizing. Yeah. So uh, what's interesting about James Altucher, and I keep in mind, I interviewed him a couple of years ago now. So this may have changed, but I, I, to my knowledge, it hasn't. His brand is that Choose Yourself is an imprint of Agora Publishing. And I don't know if you've heard of Agora, but they are a, they're basically a financial publishing uh, brand. They do more than a billion dollars in revenue every year, just publishing media, media products like that. Yep. Through free front end and back that same model, but they have wow. all these different imprints. So you would never know. You'd never know they're connected. And the advertisements that are in his newsletter, those are affiliate ads for other members of his. Yep. No wonder they're so like. They're like yeah. really <laughs> well produced, but it's like yeah. an infomercial. I'm thinking to myself, like, out of all the things that James, because I listen to James all, well, I haven't listened to him in a while, but his podcast is, uh, it's like laid back and like hang out and like, yeah, let's shoot the shit and tell stories. And so it's like such a juxtaposition between those infomercial type videos he has on his newsletter. But now that you tell me, it's all part of the same network. It's all <laughs> together. Blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That's, that's, that's the ultimate. Example and Agora is the ultimate example. I mean, wow, nobody's heard of them. Uh, they do massive, massive revenue, and they're really good at what they do. For as cheesy as their copywriting sounds, and it does sound cheesy, it works. Like there's a reason they always work. Yeah, there's a reason that their writers do what they do. But yeah, man. Okay, this was fantastic. Thanks this for taking great. me through it. I learned a lot. I'm gonna shout out to Pat. We're gonna have to get him on here. For sure. Or what I'm going to do is I don't know if he'll, I don't know if if he's got the time to come here, but uh, he and I are chatting behind the scenes, and he's agreed to kind of help me understand SEO stuff as well. So I'm going to ask him some questions about what we found here today, and just kind of hear his his perspective on how this worked out the way that it did. It seems like he's building like what I what I'm interested in. I don't know how he built this backlink profile. Yeah. But I would love to figure it out because it seems like something that would help trends too, just to be a little bit more SEO conscious. We're we're not really. And I and and that's surprising because a lot of people on our team are like real SEO whizzes. I know it would like Steph would love it if we were more SEO conscious. So would yeah. so would my project or my uh, product manager. 
Well, <laughs> you got any questions about that, just let me know. But while you're talking to Pat, sure, his insight, but I, I want to know the evolution of how he's monetizing. Cool. Yeah, it was, it was kind of tough to talk about. I was stumbling through it a little bit and I, I had our previous interview in my head where like mm-hmm. we talked about advertising and how he was kind of sick of it. So like when I saw those ads, I think I was a little bit, um, like it was imprinted on right. me a little. Yeah. But I am really, really interested in his product. And I'm also really, really interested if it stays within like the starter store brand because <laughs> I've thought about that a lot. Like, do I build another website? Like, do we need to buy another domain? Right? Like that whole that whole joke. Like, oh, I bought another domain. <laughs> Time for it to sit in my GoDaddy for another four years. But I, <laughs> I have just personally found that it's easier, like categorically, to separate these different brands and create, even if it's like very nuanced, but create mm-hmm. like a different point and meaning behind them. So, yeah, when you talk to Pat. Thank him for letting us use him as a guinea pig and ask those backlink questions, but definitely ask him like the evolution of how he monetized because I, I, I want to know personally for me. Like, how I, Yeah, I definitely will. One last thing related to spinning up the second brand, and I think this ties in with our last episode, is that when you do that, you give yourself the flexibility to divest yourself of the product if you ever need to. So what we mentioned in the last episode was that sometimes these follow-on products, just they don't end up, the day-to-day of running them doesn't end up being the same as what you would expect. And in the case of Copy Blogger, you guys found a great partnership where now everyone's getting their needs met uh, even better than they were before. But I think that would be, that would have been even easier if the community wasn't tied to the Copy Blogger brand the same way that it was. And even if it didn't, maybe it didn't matter in this case as much, but when it comes to your personal brand, yeah. You know, it's an even bigger deal because if you do end up selling the company one day, you want to be able to step away from it and let it continue to thrive. And it's hard if that if it's the Stodzy community, yeah, you know. If it's me, for sure. Yeah. Man, that cool, man. Great. Yeah. That's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Good seeing you, and uh, I guess welcome back from California. Thank you. I had some <laughs> great hikes. Appreciate it. Um, all right. Thank you, everybody, for listening like and subscribe is the best thing you can do to support the show we appreciate all the feedback thank you so much and we'll talk to you next week i gotta see you later